This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. With me, Laura Curran. And let's bring in Laura Curran, a member of the Democratic Party. Joining us now by phone, Laura Curran. Laura, good morning. Now, here's your host, Laura Curran. Hello, I am Laura Curran, and this is Cut to the Chase, where we delve into politics, media, culture, and current events. Real conversations about real issues that affect our lives, no matter where we are on the political spectrum. All right, let's get right to it. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for joining the podcast. So today I have Michael Pernick, and we're going to talk about redistricting, and I promise you it's going to be interesting. So Michael Pernick is a voting (laughs) rights attorney, a civil rights attorney. He's with the Legal Defense Fund. And I have him on today because he is serving as a commissioner on the Nassau County Redistricting Commission. So you may have read a lot about redistricting in having to do with the midterms and the sort of bungled redistricting that happened in the state legislature, reapportioning the state legislative seats and the congressional seats. There was a lawsuit. There were new lines. There were two primaries. It was a whole thing. Now you think it's over, but it's not. So every 10 years that because of the census, there is a reapportionment of all of these electoral districts throughout the country. The population changes, the demographics change, there's a shift. So the goal, and this is in the Constitution, is to make sure that the districts have the same amount of voters, that they have some kind of cohesion, that they make sense. In Nassau County, As in many places, and I think Nassau County is a good example of how this can sort of go awry, it becomes very, very political. Now, in a democracy, we're supposed to have the voters picking their politicians, picking the people who represent them at various levels of government. It's not supposed to be the politicians picking their voters, but I think that's what we've seen in the past in Nassau County. And Michael Pernick, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is great to be with you and very glad that you're covering this important topic. It is important. And my goal in this is to not make it sound like homework. <laughs> so I'm going to need your help with that, Michael. <laughs> but do we Absolutely. have a right? So do we have a situation in Nassau County where politicians are trying to pick their voters? What's happening? What's the latest in Nassau County with this redistricting of the county legislature, of which there are 19 legislators, by the way? So if if you live in the city, it's our version of the city council. All right, Michael, go. That's right. Well, I'll try and make it interesting. It is sometimes dealing with redistricting is like watching paint dry, but the stakes are so important. And you really hit the nail on the head, Laura. This happens only once every 10 years. So our ability to elect candidates of our choice the opportunity to be represented fairly at every level of government only comes around once every 10 years. This only happens right after the census, as you said, and the lines that we're left with are going to be locked in for a decade. So the stakes are incredibly high, and it'll determine much of what we face as voters, as residents of the county for the next decade to come. Mm. As you said, in Nassau, it's been a frustrating process. I'm one of the 10 voting members of the commission. We have five Republicans, five Democrats, and a non-voting member. 
we need six votes to get anything done. And we were working hard. I was very hopeful that we'd be able to have some bipartisan compromise and agree on a fair legal map that we could recommend to the legislature. Unfortunately, that did not happen, just like it didn't happen 10 years ago. The commission was unable to approve a map, which means that the legislature won't have any recommendation as a starting point and could essentially do what they want and pass any map they want. The map that we're dealing with right now, it's a map that is structurally designed to advantage one party over the other. It's structurally designed to advantage Republican voters over Democratic voters. It also, quite frankly, is racially discriminatory. Hmm. Nassau County is a very diverse county. Communities of color have been growing dramatically over the last 10 years. But voters of color only have an opportunity to elect candidates of their choice in three out of 19 districts. Uh, So there's severe underrepresentation of Black and Latino voters and Asian voters all across Nassau County because of the way the lines are drawn. Now, let's take a step back and just think about how this redistricting process can lead to these perverse outcomes. There's a term that us redistricting nerds, we use all the time called cracking and packing. Cracking and and packing. Exactly. Let me break that down. So when you have, let's say, a community that tends to vote the same way, let's say a community of black voters who tend to support particular candidates, and you take that community and you crack them into two separate districts, Mm. what that might do is prevent that community from having a voice in either of those districts. That's cracking. Now, packing is just what it sounds like. If you take a whole lot of voters and pack them into just one district, voters in that community, they would be able to elect one candidate, but they might not be able to elect candidates. They wouldn't be able to influence the outcome of any other elections. So you might have one or two districts that perform at 80 or 90 percent, but there might be enough like-minded voters in those communities to elect two representatives if they weren't packed into just Hmm. one district. Interesting. Let me just interrupt for one second, Michael, one second. So the cracking thing is absolutely true because I remember when I was running for county legislator 10 years ago, this was the last redistricting that happened. There was an attorney named Champoli on the Republican side who was brilliant because Mm -hmm. they got it done. And so I won, although I was not in the majority as a Democrat because it was really pretty much engineered that way. But the communities that I represent, three or four of the communities that I represented were themselves divided up like Freeport, Oceanside, Rockville Center were all divided up between three different legislators. So they didn't have a say. They didn't really have the accountability that they deserve. So I I know exactly what you're talking about. All right, go on. Well, let me ask you. So Freeport, if I remember correctly, it was represented and still is represented by four different legislators. Now it's four. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the proposal in the plan. How do you think that would affect representation for people in Freeport to have four different people, each representing a different sliver of the village? It makes absolutely no sense, especially as this is a very unified, cohesive village. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's exactly right. And that's what we're seeing across the county, especially communities of color are being cracked into multiple districts. The village Mm. of Hempstead is cracked into multiple districts. Freeport is cracked. We see Valley Stream and Elmont are cracked into separate districts. We're seeing these issues all across the county in the proposal, and it raises severe concerns. The other problem is that it's probably not legal. We have Mm. a lot of laws that govern the redistricting process. One of the most important rules is, of course, making sure that every district has roughly the same population. But there are also rules at the federal level and at the state level that are designed to prevent 
cracking and packing that are designed to prevent uh, partisan gerrymandering, where maps are drawn to structurally advantage one party over the other. And based on the analysis that we've been doing, there are severe concerns, real concerns, that the proposal that's been advanced by the Republican commissioners would not comply with these federal and state requirements. So do you think there's a possibility of a lawsuit if the Republican plan gets voted on and approved by the legislature? I do. I think it's quite likely. And we've been trying to make that clear throughout the redistricting process. And this wouldn't be a small lawsuit. This would be a very expensive lawsuit at significant taxpayer expense. Hmm. You know, in, in the Federal Voting Rights Act and the State Voting Rights Act, there are rules that if a plaintiff prevails, the defendant is on the hook not only for their own legal fees, but also for the plaintiff's legal wow. fees. Wow. Uh, and this could amount to millions and millions of dollars. There was a redistricting lawsuit just a year ago in East Ramapo, mm. where the East Ramapo School District, they paid their lawyers $7 million for unsuccessfully defending a redistricting lawsuit. They were also ordered to pay $4 million to the plaintiff's attorney's fees. And a couple of years ago, I was involved in a lawsuit out in the town of Islip. Mm-hmm. And Islip, we learned, paid their lawyers $3 million for unsuccessfully defending a Section 2 claim and paid plaintiff's attorneys another million dollars just to settle the claims. This would be a significant taxpayer expense, all to defend a map that raises real concerns. But based on any objective measure, it just isn't fair to voters, and it isn't fair to communities of color, and it isn't fair, frankly, to voters who tend to prefer Democratic candidates. So I looked at the maps made by the Republicans and the map made by the Democrats. And just looking at it and knowing the communities of Nassau County, it seemed that, and I'm not, I like to be objective, so this is not because I'm a Democrat, but the Democratic map, the districts look like they made sense. They were cohesive. Mm -hmm. They were sort of squares or versions of squares. They seemed to keep like communities together, whereas the Republican map was kind of a repeat of what it's been. At least three districts just snake throughout the entire county in these this way that just doesn't make any logical sense. They just are these strange-looking creatures on these maps that mm-hmm. don't make any logical sense unless you understand the politics. And I think, you know, this is very clearly an instance of politicians trying to pick their voters. They want to make sure that they can shore up the voters and have the majority, which In fairness, the Democrats tried to do in the state legislature way overplayed their hand and they did get sued and it wasn't a good outcome. So we could see a similar thing now brought by the other side. Yeah, that's exactly right. When we on the Democratic side asked our demographer to prepare the map, we tried to educate and collect information from the public, did everything we could to unify communities of interest, and we gave our demographer a clear rule. Do not consider party. Do not consider partisan advantage. Don't look at election results. Mm. Let's just try and draw the districts as fairly as we can the right way, looking at communities of interest, looking at where the boundaries of towns and villages are and trying to respect those boundaries and trying to make districts as compact as possible, which is one of the important criteria under state law. So we really tried to do that. And we did everything we could to do it the right way. And that's, that's refreshing, glad Michael. That, that's that refreshing. To, to see that result. Yeah. Because, yeah. That's what we were trying to do. And part of the reason we were doing that, obviously, it's the right thing to do, but also we don't think it's legal to do it the way the Republicans did it. 
and we don't think it's legal because we have this precedent now in New York State for extreme partisan gerrymanders yeah. being struck down as unlawful under New York State. Right. Law. We've got a very yeah. recent precedent. Exactly. So what we did, we took a close look at that opinion. It's called Harkin Rider v. Hochul. And that's now the landmark judicial opinion on redistricting, on partisan gerrymandering in New York State. Mm. And I apologize, but I'm going to nerd out for a minute because it's really interesting. Okay. The way that the court evaluated whether there was a partisan gerrymander. And this is in Hark and Ryder v. Hochul, as in Governor Hochul, just so people know. That's right. That's right. The case name is is Hark and Ryder is is the plaintiff name and Hochul, Governor Hochul, is the defendant. Mm -hmm. And what the Court of Appeals did in that case is they relied on what's called an ensemble methodology. And what Mm. that is, is they had a data scientist do computer simulations of thousands and thousands of maps, tens of thousands of maps random simulated maps, and then looked at the map that was drawn to see if it was an outlier, to see if it was more extreme than the vast majority of those maps. And on the congressional maps, they found that it was. And that was one of the reasons they struck down the congressional map. So we did the same thing in Nassau County. We had a political scientist, data scientist, who's a PhD at SUNY Binghamton, do a simulation of 10,000 random Nassau County legislative maps that use just objective criteria, randomly simulated maps, and measured the Republican map against the simulated maps. And do you know what he found? What? He found that the Republican map was more biased in favor of Republicans than 99.9% of randomly simulated maps. Wow. That tells us. That tells us. This is not something that happened accidentally. This is something that was designed to entrench Republican voters As you said, this is an example of legislators picking their voters, not the other way around. And listeners, if you're interested in seeing the two different maps in Nassau County, the Republican and the Democratic version, you can go actually to NassauCountyNY.gov and uh, search for redistricting commission and you can see for yourself. You know, you don't have to take our word for it. One thing that's interesting to me is that how few people are actually interested in this because it does seem arcane. Are you finding that Nassau County residents are coming to meetings or making their voice heard? Are they getting themselves involved in this or is it just sort of the usual suspects that show up? Actually, this has been the most engaged, dynamic process I've ever been a part of. Hmm. Yeah, We had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people show up. Uh, over the course of our hearings, uh, giving feedback, giving testimony, giving guidance on where the communities of interest were, giving guidance on how the lines should be drawn, and frankly, raising grave concerns over the process and the redistricting methods that were being used really by the Republicans. The members of the public who showed up were almost exclusively concerned with the the current map and the direction we were heading in. Hmm. This was unusual. I think in Suffolk County, when they did their redistricting process, there were under 20 people who showed up. When I've done this work across the country, sometimes there are a few hearings that get some real turnout. But the level of engagement and the level of, frankly, the level of anger over the extreme gerrymander that we have right now and the prospect of perpetuating this extreme and unfair map, it really got people fired up. It really got people engaged and people really came out and spoke. One of the most disheartening parts of the process after we had something like, I forget the number, seven or eight or nine hearings, 
dozens and dozens of hours of public testimony, hundreds of people showing up. The demographer retained by the Republicans, he said that he was asked to draw a map that does not take any public feedback into account. So the Republican proposal, they said on the record, <laughs> does not take communities of interest, does not take the public feedback into account. So that really so is politician picking, picking their voters and not the other way around. Exactly, exactly. It's interesting you brought up Suffolk because I noticed their process was quick. It seemed like the two party chairs got together. They worked out a deal. Everyone was happy, shake hands, and then they're done. No drama. That's not happening mm -hmm. in Nassau. It's not. And, you know, on the first day of the hearing, I turned to the Republican uh, commissioners and I think all of the Democrats, we made clear we would be very interested in trying to compromise, trying to collaborate, trying to come up with a plan that works for the county that we could hopefully unanimously recommend to the county legislature. But that just wasn't possible. And it was clear that my colleagues on the Republican side weren't interested in doing that. Hmm. They developed a schedule where originally both sides would present a map and then we would only have 24 hours, not even, I'm sorry, not even 24 hours. On the same day that both sides would present a map, we would also vote on what map to recommend to the legislature, leaving literally zero time to negotiate, to try and come up with a compromise deal. They ultimately added in a handful of days between the public release of the Democratic and Republican maps and the vote, but it wasn't really any time to try and work out a compromise. And when we reached out to them to see if they would be interested in coming to the table to try and pass a legal map that could ensure that we wouldn't have litigation, there wasn't really interest in trying to work out a compromise deal. They were locked in on their proposal and didn't have much interest in considering a middle ground. So that was very disappointing. And it was a big difference between the approach in Suffolk where there was compromise and they were able to come to the table and come up with a path forward, which is that's the way it should be, frankly. Yeah, well, the Nassau County Republican Party is an interesting animal, very effective in, <laughs> in elections and in other things. You know, one thing I noticed, I think Democrats are worried, oh, we're going to get bad press, we're going to get pushback, we're going to get this, we're going to get that. The Republicans don't care as much. They know it'll be a one-day story in Newsday. Most people aren't going to pay attention. They're going to get what they want. They're going to, you know, whether there's a candidate or a redistricting plan or whatever it may be, they're willing to take the heat and take the criticism and have people come and yell at a meeting and have Democratic commissioners mad that they're not compromising. But at the end of the day, they may win. And it's interesting that they have been able to hold on to so much power in Nassau when Democrats actually have a registration advantage and it's growing. That's not mm -hmm. to say that all Democrats who are registered Democrat are going to vote for Democrats or, you know, there's a big middle in Nassau County going back and forth. But they have been very effective so far of holding on to power. And a big part of that is really not caring that much about the good government types, the complainers, the press. They seem to disregard it, but yet they continue to win. Yeah, it's very frustrating. But I think this is different because here it's not just politics. It's not just the messaging and communications. Here they are at risk of passing a map that actually violates the law. Yeah. And it won't just be Newsday holding them accountable. It'll be our judicial system. If there's litigation, if lawsuits are filed challenging this map, there'll be a state or federal judge reviewing this map and evaluating whether it complies with state and federal law. And, and I, I think there's a, a very high likelihood 
that a court will strike down this proposal if they move forward with it. Um, Michael, do you think so, because of uh, what happened with the congressional and state legislative districts that there will be more attention and focus on this? Do you think that will, in the end, potentially be helpful for you, in for us in Nassau County? I think so. The, the precedent that was set in the state case, in the case that struck down the congressional and state Senate maps, it's the same precedent that a plaintiff would rely on yeah. to challenge the partisan gerrymander here in, in Nassau County. But right. as you said, at the state level, it was the Democrats doing it. Here in the county level, it's the Republicans doing it. But the legal principle is the same, which says yeah. you can't draw maps for extreme partisan advantage. You can't draw maps to shut voters out, to make it more difficult for voters to elect candidates of their choice. It's just not allowed in New York State. And, you know, this is a new law. That's the other thing to remember. Ten years ago, mm. we didn't have these provisions of state law hmm. that prohibited partisan gerrymandering. Right. Those were just passed a few years ago. Right. So, so this is the first time that the county will have a map that's going to be evaluated under these new legal standards yeah. with the precedent from the state case. And that's why I'd really urge folks to keep your eyes open, keep your eyes focused on what happens with any litigation challenging this map, because that lawsuit will have legs. I'm glad you brought that up. That's such an interesting point about the new anti-gerrymandering law. So it might not be business as usual. And you explained very well the ensemble methodology. It's almost like uh, some of those polling conglomerates where they put all the polls together and see what's going to happen. So putting overlaying all of these maps that make sense with what the Republicans have come up with and a 99.9% more partisan, which that's I mean, that says a lot right there. Yeah. Do you hold out hope that somehow there will be a compromise? Because the process is not done yet. There's still more to go. Where are we in the process? So the commission has concluded its work. The Democratic members, we sent over a lengthy 33-page report Mm. detailing our findings and our concerns that the Republican map won't comply with the law and explaining why our map does. Now the ball is in the legislature's court. The legislature, since we didn't recommend a map, the legislature can choose any map it wants. It'll go through a committee and then it'll go to the full legislature for a vote. And then the county executive will have the option to either sign or not sign the legislation adopting that map. So people should people should know uh, that the legislature is majority Republican and the county executive is a Republican. So I'm sure the county executive will go on with whatever the legislature approves. Yeah. And not just Republican, it's a 12-7 split. And we're concerned that the map will perpetuate that 12-7 split, which is uh, especially jarring in a county, as you said, with such a significant Democratic advantage, a county that often elects Democrats at the county level, votes for Democrats at the state and federal level, Mm -hmm. to have a legislature that's a 12-7, an entrenched 12-7 Republican legislature, raises some serious red flags. It's a signal that something wrong is going on with the way in which our elections are happening. And that thing that's going wrong, it's the redistricting process. Is there um, something that the Democratic legislators can do? Do they have any power here besides voting no? They can vote no. They can also build a record that could be supportive for eventual litigation by introducing alternative proposals, by uh, pointing out the ways in which the Republican proposal is unfair to voters and showing that there's a better way to do it. Mm. Um, having that record, which we've built in the commission process, that record is very important. There's also another opportunity for members of the public to show up and testify. And I would encourage 
any of your listeners who live in Nassau County to show up when the legislature schedules its hearings on the maps, when the legislature will take a vote to make your voice heard and talk about your concerns with the proposal and talk about the communities of interest that are at risk of being split and fractured and cracked into different districts. How many public meetings have you had so far? And I know they're all over the county. Yeah, we had a pretty lengthy hearing process. Um, I, I forget the exact number. It was something like seven or eight or nine, but almost all of them were before draft maps were mm. released. After the maps were released, there was just one opportunity for the public to weigh in and make their voice heard on the proposed maps. And then the commission, a few days after that, held its vote. I see. I see. All right. So do you know when it goes to the legislature for discussion? We don't know. I think that there's a committee hearing coming up next week. And then I imagine it will go pretty quickly after that. By the end of the uh, podcast, I'll tell you exactly when the committee hearing is. All right. Sounds good. So... This has to happen by county charter. It's called a yep. Temporary Redistricting Advisory Commission. You have a non-voting chair appointed by the county exec and then five each from the Republicans and the Democrats. Each state does this differently. Are there some models out there that really are truly nonpartisan? Is this even possible in today's world to have something that is nonpartisan or at least bipartisan? Absolutely. Really? Give us Absolutely. one example. There are a lot of different models out there that work, that work well. They're called independent redistricting commissions. And mm -hmm. the way they work, you have a group of qualified appointees, people who aren't necessarily political appointees, but people appointed who are community leaders, who mm. are academics, who are, have a stake in their community and in fair representation, and who are most importantly charged with being independent uh, and, and having those independent voices responsible for developing uh, maps, holding hearings, and ultimately adopting a map. It doesn't make sense for partisan actors to uh, have full control of this process. It makes a lot more sense to have an independent voice that can come in and, and recommend a fair map, a map that actually gives people an opportunity to elect candidates of their choice, rather than building maps that are designed to serve politicians. And there are a whole bunch of states that have these commissions for drawing state legislative lines, for drawing congressional lines, and many localities across the country, counties and cities, have independent commissions that draw their local maps as well. There was actually a proposal to adopt an independent redistricting commission uh, advanced here in Nassau a year or two ago that some of the Nassau Democrats championed, but unfortunately it didn't, it didn't go anywhere. But if we had a model like that that was truly independent, this process would have gone very, very differently, and I think we would have seen a very different outcome in this process. So it is possible to have nonpartisan redistricting. We may not get it for a while here in Nassau County. Michael, I want to thank you so much for explaining this clearly and perhaps even more challenging, keeping it interesting. So thank you. And to Absolutely. the voters out there, it doesn't matter if it's Republican or it's Democrat. Keep your eyes on who tells you what community you belong to, who you can vote for. You should have the say in this, and you do have the say in this. If you didn't make it to those several community meetings on redistricting before the maps came out, make it a point, if you care about this, to show up at the legislature and let your voice be heard. And remember, you're in charge. You're at the top of the organizational chart. <laughs> These politicians report to you. It's not the other way around. Michael, thank you so much for fighting the good fight. I can't wait to see how this turns out. 
Thank you so much. And I'll just note the legislative committee hearing. Yeah. Tuesday, January 17th to next week at 11 a.m. next Tuesday in Manila. That's the first committee hearing on the redistricting plan. So I certainly encourage everybody to show up to that if this is something that you're interested in getting involved in. All right. You said you'd get it by the end of the podcast and you did. Well done. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Really good to talk to you today. All right. We'll stay tuned. Thanks, Michael. Bye bye. And my dear listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. If you like what you hear, subscribe, give us a big five stars, and come back next week for more of Cutting to the Chase. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.